of your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to the book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Matthew 6 is very close to the beginning of Jesus' ministry, and Jesus was speaking to a very large crowd. It says In some translations, it says a multitude. This, this, the occasion of Matthew chapter 6 was what we call the Sermon on the Mount. You won't find that terminology in the Bible, but that's what we call it. It was the Sermon on the Mount. It is the entirety of Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. It is a it is, it is some of the most condensed, some of the most concentrated, uh, not condensed, but concentrated scriptures, concentrated teaching that, de- that Jesus gave in his lifetime uh, and that, that, that is recorded. And, and so we have here the, the, this, this, this powerful portion of scripture, Matthew's, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, where, where, where Jesus is teaching this large crowd of people. He's, he's speaking, if, if we were to, to boil it down to one thing, Jesus was talking and teaching about the kingdom of God or kingdom living, that, that it's more than fulfilling religious vows, that, it, that it's more than just going through the religious duties, but rather it's honoring God, not just occasionally or not just on the Sabbath, but with our lives, with everything that we are. Jesus was talking about kingdom living. He, and and, he, and he, he's teaching here how, how we, through him, are to change the world around us. This is, this is the, you've heard about salt and light, that Jesus says you are, you are to be salt and light. Those are change agents. That's here in this text. He spoke of, of attitudes. Uh, we refer to them as the B attitudes. Uh, uh, he, that, that's here in this text. Or the things that we're blessed by. If we experience this, we are blessed. He talks about if we, if we do this, that we are blessed. That's all here in, in this Sermon on the Mount. And in chapter 6, Partway into this Sermon on the Mount, Jesus began to teach how we are to give. I, I referenced this just a moment ago, how, how the, the attitude, the, the condition of our heart in which the, the, that it's supposed to be in, in, in the way that we give. And then in verse 5 of chapter 6, Jesus began to teach on, on prayer. He began to teach on, on prayer. Prayer. Prayer is this... This, this holy action or this means of communication to God referred to throughout the Bible. Prayer. Prayer. This, this, this amazing thing that, that God calls us to do, this amazing ability that we have to access the very presence of God and to speak one-on-one to the creator of the universe. Come on, how cool is that? Do you know that you cannot, if you wanted to, you woke up this morning and you said, you know what I want to do? I want to go meet with the president of the United States. Do you know, I got some news for you. It's not going to happen. If you wanted to meet with the queen of England right now, she would say, I don't have time. I got mess with my family I got to deal with. You couldn't meet with her if you wanted to. But think of this. You can go before the very throne of God because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross, because of what he, that, that 
enormous chasm that he breached or that, that, he, that he made possible for us to go over and to meet with Almighty God. That is an amazing thing to me. And Jesus here in Matthew chapter 6 gave directions on prayer. He, he explained some things and he, he taught on prayer. It was so important to him and it was so important for us that he taught us how to pray. In verse 5, Jesus said this, When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. I'm sure that really went over well for some people who, who wanted to do that or who liked to do that. You know, this group of Pharisees, they were known for their long and, and profound public prayers. I'm sure that didn't go off very well with them, but Jesus is basically saying here that prayer is not something that we're to build ourselves up with or point to ourselves, but it's a means of communication to God. In verse 6, Jesus said this, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door. Pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So he's saying here between these two verses, he's saying that prayer, this communication with God, is far more than just a public declaration, but it's a very private exercise. Now, tonight, you heard Pastor Brad, he mentioned that we're going to be gathering together as a prayer meeting, and there's, there's places in Scripture where it speaks of corporate prayer, believers coming together and seeking God together. In fact, that's the the the... the the church began on the day of Pentecost out of a prayer meeting, people corporately praying. But Jesus is saying here in verse 6 that most prayer is going to, be, is going to happen one-on-one -on -one with him in a quiet place, in a secret place. If the only time you pray is with others, you're not going to be praying very much. But if you seek God one-on-one, -on -one, I'll tell you what, that's a very powerful and intimate time. He says, go into your room, shut the door, and pray for you, to your fathers. It's not about what other people think of you. Just seek Him. And then in verses 7 and 8, Jesus said this, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Don't be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Now, that last line, He does know what we need before we ask Him, but He still wants us to ask. There's a, a couple of times in Scripture where people with very obvious infirmities would come to Jesus, and Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? Well, it was so obvious what they needed. Jesus knew what they needed, but he wanted them because there is faith that is declared when we say, Lord, I'm coming to you and I need this. Please help me with this. And that's why he says he already knows what you need even before you ask him, but ask anyway. But the amount of words that you use isn't so important as, again, the condition of your heart. Now, maybe you noticed in those three verses that you just heard or you just saw on the screen or you have in your Bibles in front of you, maybe you noticed that three times Jesus used the same words. Did you notice that? Three times Jesus used the same verses 5, 6, and 7 all begin with the words, when you pray. Notice that. That's very important. Now, just to be sure, I checked. You know, I, like many of you, I have one of these uh, Bible search engines that you can go online and and type in a phrase, and you can see how many times that appears in the Bible. 
we don't have to go through and count it one by one. Computers can do that. But I, just to be sure, I checked and I found that in all of Jesus' I was pretty sure on this before I checked, but I checked anyway. In all of Jesus' recorded words, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and just a little bit of Acts, in all of Jesus' recorded words, never once did Jesus say to anyone, if you pray. He never said, you can check it later, he never said, if you pray, but he did say multiple times, when you pray. That means that Jesus expected his followers to pray. He didn't say, if you pray, this is how you do it. He said, when you pray, this is how you are to do it. He expected this. He wanted us, not, not just wanted, he wanted and he expected us, his followers, his people, to seek him in prayer. Listen, listen, this is very important. This is very basic, but hear me. The spiritual disciplines of reading God's word and spending time with him in prayer are not options in the life of the follower of Jesus Christ. They are essentials. It's so important, I want you to hear it again. The spiritual disciplines of spending time in God's Word, right? We talked about that a few weeks ago, actually a couple of months ago now. The difference, the tangible difference that it makes in a person's life, the measurable difference that it makes in a person's life because we spend time in God's Word and the spiritual difference that it makes when we spend time with Him in prayer, those things are not options in the life of the follower of Jesus Christ. They are essentials. If you want to grow in Jesus, if you want to grow in Christ, and if you want a life that is victorious, a victorious life over sin, you know, where you're not perpetually pushed around by the enemy, then time in God's Word and time in prayer are not optionals, options, they're essentials. You know, you can get a car with options, Right? I like, I like options. On One of the first cars I had was a 1976 Honda. It had one option. It had a radio. That was the option. I, but I, boy, when I get a different car, I like the options. How many here this morning like the option of heated seats? Come on, let me see your hands. Or, or four-wheel drive. I got stuck on the way home with a four-wheel drive, but I still like that option. Uh, I like the option. I like the option of uh, remote start. I don't have one yet. My kids have cars with remote starts. I don't have one yet. Joni starts it for me. I said, "Get out there and start." No, I don't. I, she doesn't. I always start the car. But that's a nice option. And some of you are going, "Yeah, start that thing right now, so it's nice and warm when pastor's done preaching." It's a nice option. Even I was in a car a couple weeks ago, had the option of, uh, uh, I'd never seen this. I didn't know that it existed. It has a cup holder. I had cars that did My first three cars didn't even have a cup holder. This has not only a cup holder, but it'll keep your coffee hot in the winter and your lemonade cool in the, in the summer. Now, that is a nice option. But you know, there are other things about a car that are not options. If, you, if you're going to have a car, you better have tires. You better have a good engine and you better have a transmission. Those are not options. Those are essentials. Because without those essentials, without those very important essentials in your car, you're not going to go any place. They're essentials. So it is in the overcoming life in Jesus Christ. 
If you want to get any place in this world, in your relationship with Christ, if you want to move forward rather than just staying where you are, and by the way, there is no such thing as a plot. You're either climbing or you're going down. But, but if you want to grow in Jesus Christ, then time in God's Word and time in prayer are not options. They are essentials. As important as the transmission and the engine in your car. But far infinitely far more important, but they're essentials. Jesus didn't say, if you pray. Jesus said, when you pray. And then beginning in verse 9, Jesus gave us an example of prayer. It's an example of prayer. He said this, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, just a word of explanation. Many of the ancient Bible manuscripts, and because of that, many Bible translations also include this at the end of verse 13. Some include it, some do not. But it also adds this, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So here, Jesus here, he's, remember, remember the context, he's speaking to this large group of people, this multitude it says, maybe, quite possibly thousands of people who've gathered, and in the middle of this, in chapter 6, in the middle of that Sermon on the Mount, Jesus begins to teach them about prayer. An interesting thing that happened perhaps as much as a couple of years later, or, or at least sometime later, in Luke chapter 11, it says Jesus was praying by himself. He was praying, and then when he was done praying, it says one of the disciples came to him, and, and he said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. They observed him praying, and they wanted to pray. And the interesting thing is that Jesus gave essentially the same re response. He taught this, a, a, a large portion of this same prayer on that occasion in, in, uh, in Luke chapter 11. Jesus gave this to us. We call it, we call it the Lord's Prayer, but it's not just him praying, it is an example of prayer to us. It is an example of prayer to us. It was never meant, it was never meant to be just quoted mindlessly, but it is there given to us to serve us, serve as a pattern for prayer. So if we're just learning how to pray, if we're just learning how to spend time with God and to seek Him, this gives us instructions in how to do this. It is a, it is a pattern of prayer. So let's break it down for just a few moments this morning. And, and I'm not going to go into it extremely deeply on e each point, but I want you to understand the beauty of this pattern prayer and not just to appreciate it, but to put it into effect. This morning, some of you may be saying, I hear you, Pastor. I, I, I see the need, and, and I, I acknowledge that, yes, it's really important, but I just don't know how to do it very well. Help me. What Jesus, Jesus, this is why one of the reasons why Jesus gave it to us. In this prayer, and in our prayers, 
We are to pray with reverence. I want you to see that point. In this prayer and in our prayers, we are to pray with reverence. Notice the words. Right at the very beginning, Jesus said, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Uh, first of all, Jesus said, Our Father. Now, he could have said, My Father. It was that would have made it very personal to him. It would have been very appropriate. I don't think any of us would fault him if he would have said, my father in heaven, hallowed or holy is your name. Uh, but but he, he, made it, he made it collective. It, 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 he, is, he is our father. There's, a, there's an implied intimacy there. There's a closeness. And then he used the word hallowed. You know, we don't use that. I don't remember the last time I used the word hallowed. <laughs> that would be interesting. Um, uh, if I were to use that in just regular conversation, people would probably look at you because it's not a word that we use very much, the word hallowed. It means to regard something as holy or to be set apart by God for a holy purpose. Something that is hallowed or sometimes pronounced hallowed, uh, that, that, that means it's holy and it has a, a particular purpose purpose, a, a holy, set-apart-by-God purpose. And yet that name of God, the name of Jesus Christ, we can fail at times, I think, to revere that name. The, the, we can fail to revere the name of the one who sent his Son for us. And sometimes we can take our approach to God very lightly. Sometimes we can be, in, in fact, even a little bit flippant as we approach God in prayer. I've mentioned this before, and, and so I say again, please do not refer to, to God, the, the holy creator of the universe, the one who sent his son, the one who cared and longed so much for fellowship with mankind that he allowed his son to die on the cross. Do not, please, do not refer to him as the guy upstairs. He's not the guy upstairs that's flippant. He's a holy God. He's our Father in heaven. Now the Bible says in the book of Hebrews that we can approach his throne boldly and find grace to help us in our time of need. Thank God for that. We can approach his throne boldly because of the blood of Jesus Christ. But when you come to him in prayer, please, please, Understand that there's a, a, a seriousness, that there's a, a reverence, that there's a holiness. Hallowed, holy is your name. Jesus said this for a reason. And come to him in reverence. I have noticed that the expression, the expression that is most used to express surprise or shock is the three-word phrase, oh my God. You ever notice that? Oh my God. People, people are shocked by something. Oh, my God. They're delighted by something or they're disturbed by something. Oh, my God. It's so quick and it's so easy. But yet when people use it, I wonder how many times they're actually thinking of this holy, hallowed name of God. Sometimes Jesus' name or his title, Jesus is his name. Christ is, is a title. It means Messiah. So many times when people say Jesus Christ, it's used to express surprise or anger or rage. Would you, in, in, in this most familiar of prayers, 
Ask God to help you regard his name or his title as holy. My Father in heaven, you are holy. Come into his presence boldly. Come into his presence with reverence. This is serious stuff, prayer. It's in Jesus' name that we have salvation. It's in Jesus' name that we have healing. It's in Jesus' name that we have deliverance. Holy and hallowed is his name. So we're called to come to him with reverence. Jesus also showed us in this, Jesus showed us to pray for God's will to supersede our own. If you're taking notes this morning, there's a thing on the back of your bulletin. I have one here on the back of your bulletin. You can write some of those notes down so you can remember some of this and perhaps use it. But Jesus showed us to pray for God's will to supersede our own. He prayed this, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There's no reference, there's no, there's no pronoun in, to, the, to the personal. It's, it's not there's no I or me or us in that line. Your kingdom become, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, that's actually one of the most important things that we can pray. That line right there is one of the most important things that we can pray, that we can bring before God. Is that his will be done above our own will. That, that it's all about him and not about me. Somebody said that the greatest battle in the world is, is for me to say, Lord, I want what you want more than what I want. And that's what this prayer says. Lord, your will be done and your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. That his will is to be done in our life, not our will. And, and you understand here, I, I mentioned earlier that, that the Sermon on the Mount is talking about kingdom living, how, to, how we're to live, how we're to operate, how we're to function as people with the kingdom in mind. When Jesus prayed for God's kingdom to come, he wasn't speaking simply of some future destination. I've heard people say this, they say, well, now, you know, that person that he or she, they passed away and now they're in the kingdom of God. No, 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 no. They become a part of the kingdom of God when they surrender their life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now someday I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be in heaven, but the kingdom of God is not simply some future destination. It is a present reality. We are called to be kingdom people, not then at the point of our death. We are kingdom people right now. God's kingdom isn't just a place to go. It's a way to live. God, kingdom living. Lord, your kingdom come. Your will be done right now, here on earth as it is in heaven. That, yes, Lord, that, that, is, that is your domain, and yet you are operating, you are functioning right now, and you're doing it through me. Jesus also directed us to pray for provision. He, he, he prayed, give us this day our daily bread. 
Ecclesiastes, you don't need to turn there, I'll just tell you about Ecclesiastes chapter, it's in the Old Testament. Ecclesiastes 11 verse 4 says, we cannot know the future direction of the wind. Now I know that here in South Dakota, the wind usually comes right out about that direction, (laughs) right? Comes out of the northwest. But we, we can't tell. The Bible tells us we don't know the direction of the wind, and so therefore we cannot know, we cannot certainly know God's plans for us tomorrow. I don't know what he has for me later on today. I certainly don't know what his plans are, are for me tomorrow. There's some things that I want him to do. There's some things that I plan to do, but I don't know what a day's gonna hold. I don't know what's gonna happen, but I know this, that in the uncertainty of life, we can find tremendous comfort in knowing that he will provide what we need for each day. I don't know what I'm going to face tomorrow. And you don't know what you're going to face tomorrow. How many here have gotten that phone call and, or, or you're, you're in, a, in that doctor's room or that, that waiting room and you receive word of a diagnosis? How many of you have, have all of a sudden... You're thrust into unknown territory. We don't know when those times are going to come, but we can be absolutely certain that Jesus is going to be there with us and he is going to give me what I need in that day for that time, for that thing. I find tremendous comfort in knowing that while I cannot know the future, I know that he is in the future and that he will be there to hold me and carry me through. Not just with my daily bread, not just the, you know, the basic provision of food, but also insight. How many, how many things, we're, we're facing new things, you're thrust into a new situation and you're saying, God, this is outside my experience. <laughs> Even if it's within my experience, this is bigger than me. Lord, I need your insight. I need some kind of help. I, I, I need you to give me a right word here. And he gives it to you. He may not give you the whole thing, but like the, like the Israelite people back in the Old Testament during those 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, God gave them enough food for each day. On the day before the Sabbath, he'd give them enough for two days. But that was the most. It was a daily bread. It was a, a daily trust in God. I thank God some, of, some here this morning have some things set aside for, for future retirement or for future plans. There's nothing wrong with that. But let me, let me be very clear. It could all disappear tomorrow. But also be assured of this. God still has a plan. And he'll be there. And he'll help you. Daily insight and strength and grace for each day. He also taught us here in this prayer, he taught us to pray for forgiveness and for the grace to forgive others. Jesus prayed, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Forgive us our, some translations put it there, forgive us our sins as we also forgive those who sin against us. Forgive us of our offenses against you and help us to forgive those who offend us. Have you done something? (laughs) I'm not calling for a raising of hands. Have you done something that you know is wrong? The Bible's very clear. It's wrong. It's a violation of his plan. And, And anything that's a violation of his plan is destructive for us. He doesn't, he doesn't say no 
to certain things or yes to certain things just to make us go through hoops. He does it to protect us. And when we violate that, it's not only a sin against God, but it's self-destructive. Have you done something? Have you made a choice? Have you, have you done something that is a violation of his plan? Well, then ask him for forgiveness. So that's one of the wonderful things about the cross. Jesus died on the cross not for perfect people, but for sinful people. And you're saying, well, but, but I was wrong. Yeah, you were wrong. Yeah, but I, it, it was stupid. Yeah, it was stupid. Yeah, it was destructive. Yeah, the Bible says yes, yes, yes. But go to him and say, Jesus, I did it again. I failed. I sinned. Would you please forgive me? And I promise you, rather his word promises us that he will forgive those who are broken in heart, who are humble and who lay themselves before him. He'll forgive you. You don't need to carry that the rest of your life. There may be some consequences of our choices that we will carry for the rest of our lives, but glory to God. How many here, that now, now you can show your hands if you'd like to, how many here are very grateful that Jesus forgives our sins? <laughs> Hallelujah. Man, I'm in. Jesus also said we are to forgive others. We're to forgive others. And he gave, notice he gave no exceptions. He says, and forgive us our debtors, unless, you know, it's, uh, you know, that guy who done us the dirty deed at work. You know, it doesn't say that. Uh, God, forgive us, unless it was a family member. <laughs> or forgive our debtors. There's no, there's no asterisk with a footnote. Forgiving others is so important that immediately following this pattern for prayer, you can look down in your Bibles in just a moment, but Jesus said this in verses 14 and 15, just after this, he said, if you, for, if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you, but if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Here's, here's my opinion. Jesus is teaching about this, and he says, forgive us our debts as we have, have also forgiven our debtors. And, and, and that last part, was so important that even after the pattern prayer, he goes into greater detail. Here's why, this is my opinion, here's why I think he did that, because it's so hard for us to forgive sometimes other people. So he, like, he had to elaborate. It's like, it's like Jesus was underlining it. And, and he essentially says this. Again, if you forgive others, my Father will forgive you. But if you fail to forgive others... My father will not forgive. Do you, not understand, you, you do understand how absolutely serious that is. And how disturbing it is when somebody tells you or me, you know, I, I will never forgive them for what they did. Because someone who says I will never forgive them, if they follow through with that, will never themselves be forgiven. And they will spend an eternity in hell outside of God's grace because of it. That's how serious this is. Yet even with that warning, some believers hold on to things rather than releasing them to the Lord. Believers, people who have experienced God's grace, still hold on to things rather than releasing them to the Lord. So I, I ask you, I, in this, I, I do it because Jesus emphasized it. Are you praying for God's grace to forgive someone? I've shared my story and how people have wounded me and how for six months, Every time, every time I went into devotions, every day I prayed and I would have to battle through this because, and I would ask and I would say, God, help me forgive them. And, and I would feel, and that went on for maybe six, maybe seven months. 
And finally, one day I was set free, and it was released. And, I, and, and from that day till this day, I've never carried that again. But I'll tell you what, for every day for months, I had to say, Lord, I forgive them again for what they did to the, those people that I love. I f- forgive them again. And he'll do it. God will give enough grace. Are you praying for God's grace to forgive someone, or are you holding on to that wound and praying it? parading it around like a trophy. You need to know that there is no offense done to you that is beyond Jesus' ability to forgive through you. There is no offense that is too great. Next, Jesus showed us to pray for protection from temptation and from evil. He prayed this, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I'll tell you what, folks, if you don't know this, I'm I'm here to remind you, temptation is real, right? Temptation is very real. Evil is real. People say, I don't believe in God. Well, all right, then let's look at it from the negative. How How about the evil in this world? That's pretty powerful. And that's what happens when people reject God. Evil is something very real. Evil is something very, very powerful. Temptation is real. They're powerful and they are pervasive. Every one of us here this morning, of course, every one of us here this morning will be tempted by evil throughout our lives. You will be tempted by evil throughout your life. Now you think that's bad news. Well, I got some good news. He has given us the ability and the power to overcome them. Never forget, hear me on this. Never forget that if you are in Christ, and it's conditional upon that, if you are in Jesus Christ, His Holy Spirit power is greater than any temptation. It is more powerful than any evil in this world. He gives us the power to fight against it. But I tell you what, if you're fighting in yourself, you'll give into it every time. It may take a little bit longer. You may resist a little bit longer, but you'll give into it. If there's Holy Spirit power inside of you, then he gives us the power to overcome this. Finally, Jesus showed us that in prayer, we can declare victory. I mentioned earlier, some Bible manuscripts include the line at the end of verse 13, and some do not. That's why some Bible translations include it, others do not. But I memorized it with this line, and so I'm using it, and I'm including it here. Jesus also prayed for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I include it in part because we need to remind ourselves in prayer that it's all about his kingdom and not my kingdom. That's a good thing to be. It's all about his kingdom. We're really good about building our own little kingdoms, making our own places of comfort, making it so the way that we just like it, making it just so it's all about me. It's all about my desires, my opinions, and my preferences. Again, I'm repeating myself from other places. You want, you want everything your way? Fine. Make it your way that way in your living room or in your family room or in the TV room or wherever it is. You can get your sort of mattress any way you want. 
But in kingdom living, it's all about his kingdom and not my own. It's not all about me. It's never been about me. It's never been about you. It's all about his kingdom and not ours. That this life is to be lived in his power. Not in my power or in your power. That whatever I do, it's for his glory, not my glory. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. No, no personal pronouns there. It's all about you and it's not about me. And then, and with that word forever, it reminds me that his kingdom alone has no end. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Would you say that word with me? Forever. Say it with me again. Forever. There's no end. Your kingdom, whatever you make of it, is going to end. Any power that you have or you think you have, it's going to end. Any glory that you want to come your way or that has come your way, it's already gone. But his kingdom and his power and his glory has no end. And if we find ourselves in him, then we will be with him and we will rejoice together forever. With this prayer, this, this prayer that oh, I, I know that many have, have memorized, that's not a bad thing, that's a good thing. Just a few days ago, I stood over a grave, open grave, lowering the casket in. Together we prayed this. But I, I, I wondered in that moment, how many of these people actually know the power of this statement, the power of this prayer? I warn you, this is not something that is simply to be prayed, but we, we, we've, we've done this pendulum effect here often within Christianity, and, 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 and some have taken it to the extreme, and, and they think that this is the only prayer to be prayed. And they pray it, and they pray it, and they pray it, and they prayed it so long, and, and without thinking that it's just, it's just simple rote. That, that's a dangerous extreme. But some have gone to the opposite extreme and say, well, it's, it's something that Jesus taught, but it's not really much, much to it. Oh, there's a lot to it. And I encourage you this morning, as we're, as we're, as we're trusting God for greater things in prayer, these elements, these essential elements of prayer can be included in your time of prayer tomorrow morning or tomorrow night or later on today. In that time that you've carved out, that time in which you've pushed aside so many other things, then, then feel free, because Jesus told us, feel free to bring some of these things and others to the Lord Jesus Christ, because he taught us. Later on in Luke chapter 11, when he pulled that one disciple aside, or that disciple pulled him aside and said, teach me to pray, this is again what Jesus gave him, because there's some power here. There's some power here. Jesus taught us. Jesus taught them and us that these things can and should be brought to God in prayer. That prayer is a connection to God and a conversation with God. So this morning, I want us to close in prayer. And, uh, and I want us to uh, 
would you would you put up um, would you put up Caitlin? I think it's probably about the let's put up the whole Lord's Prayer, whatever frame that might be. Yeah, that's the one. Thank you. It's powerful, isn't it? Uh, you may have you may have memorized it, um, but can we together pray this? Maybe in a way like we've never prayed it before. Maybe with a greater understanding than we've ever had before. And, 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 then, and then I'm going to close in prayer and I'm going to pray that God will use us in greater ways in seeking Him. Folks, I'm really, I'm really believing that these days of fasting and prayer, or, or even if you're not fasting, but just, just praying and trusting God, I'm believing that I'm believing that that some of the things that there's there's going to be some amazing things that happen uh, in our church, in your home, in your family, in your job, with the things that God has given you. I'm trusting Him for greater things than ever before. So I'm praying that with you. I'm praying that for the people of this congregation. Would you stand together, please? Uh, let's let's pray this together. Let's pray it with with our hearts, let's pray with our minds. You, you may have memorized it, but let's pray this together and then I'll close in prayer. And let's just pick up after that first opening line where Jesus said, let's start with our Father. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Lord Jesus, I thank you that on a hillside a long time ago, to a gathering of people that may have numbered in the thousands. You gave them this prayer. You gave them this pattern of prayer. But it wasn't just for them. You gave the same pattern to your disciples later on. It's recorded in Scripture so that we could have this pattern, these elements, these essentials in prayer for us, for every believer call upon your name Father I thank you that we can come to your throne may we come with reverence may we come with faith may we come knowing that you hear us and that you answer may you provide all that we lack may you protect us may we be reminded that it's all about your kingdom and your power and your glory. May we be reminded, Lord, that the things that we do in your name, in your hallowed name, the things that we do in your name are forever. The things that we do in our name will be quickly forgotten. So Jesus, this I pray, this we pray. And now, Lord, as we leave this place, as we go out into this world, may we be kingdom-living people. And may we be people who seek you in prayer. 
May we not regard it as an option, but an essential. Like a car without a transmission, Lord, and an engine, may we understand that a believer who isn't praying is going nowhere. So help us. Help us, Lord. Thank you for meeting us here today. I pray protection for people as they make their way to other places and eventually back home. I pray, Jesus, for those who are traveling right now or those who could not get out. I ask your blessing upon them. I pray for those who are listening to this message right now. You would reach into their lives right now where they are, that you would comfort them and that you would strengthen them and that you would speak to them. We give you glory. And we pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless you this morning. Go and pray.